Well, well it is 1223, uh, Friday, August 7th, 2020. Thank you for joining us. We are a basic income advocacy podcast. We're <clears throat> doing an open discussion on poverty, basic income, and electoral po- basic income advocates. I have uh, Feku, me here, Sheridan, and myself. Hello, everybody. Hello, Shale. Hi. Um, Hello, so, so uh, before I interrupted you, uh, Sharon, you were talking about a political uh, a video game that, that you Oh, no, I'm, some... I was talking about a genre, a genre. of political video games. All right, games. this, this has some relevance to what we're talking about. These, these simulators. Yeah. Oh, Go absolutely. for it. Let's launch in. Um, most recently, Democracy 4 ju- uh, just released, and it's uh, pretty complex if you want to uh, talk parties, factions, and pluralist interests. Um if you're looking for more like nation building or like a, a command economy simulator, I cannot recommend like Tropico Six enough. You can control all those people in a command economy. Wow. My quibs with that one is it's not you don't get to see any free market mechanics, but that's really complex and uh, even more advanced games have a hard time getting that. Um, the ones that I've seen that are really political. Um, though I'd say a lot of games have a political underpinning. Uh, like World of Warcraft, a major online multiplayer game is based around two political factions that are at constant war with each other. And what I really dislike about that, I mean, and, and it's what most people really do like about it, that it has all these different races, beings, right? Based on like the Middle Kingdom of and um, and so of course they're fighting each other because you know trolls and or whatever what, who are the who are the bad guys? <laughs> oh, that's the fun thing. There is oh, wait, no bad I mean, guys. Well, it's the whole. I mean, yeah, it's it's relative. You're talking about World of Warcraft. It's the Alliance and the Horde. And you're talking about okay, the Horde. Yeah, the, the so, the, so the of course, if you're an orc in the Horde, you yeah. you're against humans, and that's all. <laughs> and that's just how it is, and it's going to be that way always. So it's okay for you to. Go out there and slay them. That's that's your job. Did you play, Faye? Did of course I did. Mm-hmm. I, I played a little bit. I played for like a month. Oh, my dad I played is for addicted. a significant amount of time, yeah. I mean, it's it's very nice that it has a beautiful environment. And it's uh, the first time I thought to myself, yeah, the world in this game is actually more beautiful than the world I live in. Because I yeah. don't get to go to those pl- types of places very often. You know, I live in the, in the city or the suburb. Um, and then they wrote a book about it. <laughs> Do you remember? Have you guys seen Re- Ready Player One? Uh, I have yeah. not. The movie, yeah, it's based on the book, and the book was, you know, very descriptive of a, a, a time in the future when, when um, you know, the, the environment that people live in is so much worse than the immersive environments they could be in virtually. That well, that chooses to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, we're there right now. I think we're kind of there. Um, so yeah, I don't like the, the fact that the fighting in there is like, you know, of course there's going to be factions because you're of different races, but in our real world, you know, people are not of different races. We're in that sense. Like we have mixed race children. We have people who are cross-cultural and there's a lot more that, that is similar between us than different. And to be a little bit more clarative, uh, World of Warcraft has different species, not not just different races, even though they call them races and don't know science, they are very much different species. Yeah, well, but it's also just made up, and the fact that you oh yeah one faction versus the other when you first you join in it's always interesting to me. Um, well, how about thought... uh, games like Beholder? Have you heard of Beholder? 
I've not heard of Beholder. Okay, well, it was fairly popular um, a little game uh, for a little bit. On uh, you can find it on Steam, and it has um, it's basically a um, a dystopian type of uh, uh, civilization that you're living in, where it's your job to spy on your um, your neighbors, <laughs> and your neighbors are spying on you, and so you're trying to just make it like survive. And it's very difficult. I, I barely ever survive very long. And then, you know, always something bad happens, and I don't know how to handle it in this situation, in this circumstance. Oh, that reminds me of a, uh, another dystopian um, uh, game called Orwell. And it is actually about you being, like, part of this um, government agency that spies on citizens and justifies uh, um, whether they need to be monitored more or not. Yeah. <laughs> That that sounds pretty dystopian. Seem to have aspect of right now. We have a lot, you know we talk about there being a lot in our You're country. Cutting in and out, Faye. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know why. Hmm. Checking all the all the connections. You could turn on a noise suppression by Chris. We do have some uh, some fan or something in the background periodically. Hmm. Let me see if it's not on for some reason. <laughs> it is not a Discord podcast unless we plug noise suppression by Chris. By Chris. I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know better. why I said like the no, brand. That's great. It's just I thought it really maybe was off. <laughs> I said it because if you look in settings, if you look in settings, like the little brand is written that way, so it's easily identifiable. Your eye will go to it. So free shout out to Crisp. You do fantastic voice uh cleanup. Thank you for your work. And I hope you make a million dollars. It is available on mobile now too. That's great. Way to go, Crisp. Welcome on the show anytime. <laughs> But I'm putting it on, but every time I put it on, it turns it off. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Something I'm doing is not allowing it to stay on. There's a game called uh, Papers, Please. That, mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. That's a really good political game um, that made a statement a little while ago. I think it's about five or six years old now. But you play um, a government agent in an analog uh, Soviet Union when the Soviet Union was divided by that wall. Um I'm not. I'm not speaking articulately with the specifics right now, but um, you know, people come through and you check their credentials and you make the choice to let them in or not. And uh, you know, if you let too many bad actors in or people the state doesn't like, uh, then you get fired or worse. You know, maybe who knows what happens to you. Uh, the game is over. And you hit a you, list. Yeah, and also if you t- you don't want to turn too many people away either because that's just that's just a terrible thing to do. So it's uh. Quite a, it's quite a game. Yeah, Jeremy's posted some great screenshots there in the, uh, in the live stream chat. Okay, I don't know why, but it just won't let me turn it on and keep it. Every time There's... I turn it on, it turns itself off. Um, hmm. It seems like you had it on for a minute, but uh... there's another really uh, impactful game that I want to plug called uh, Cart Life. I think it's free now. Uh, I'm not sure if it used to be on Steam. I, it might still be on Steam and free, or it might just be on like itch.io, or you might have to Google it. But Cart Life is a great 2D, uh, non action sort of a thoughtful simulation narrative game where you play uh, a poor person trying to survive in like San Francisco, uh, selling something out of a cart, like, a, like, like newspapers or, or like a food item. And it's really good. You can play, I think there are six different stories, and like, you know, like. Oh, all, damn. It's it's uh yeah it's a really compelling game and it shows you how hard it is to make ends meet 
and how you really just can't up and be an entrepreneur by your bootstraps. It's like it teaches the lesson that the game Monopoly was supposed to. To hold on, yeah, there's there's a bunch of uh, small supposedly edutainment uh, games that try to describe poverty. Uh, one of my um, uh, economic class projects in high school was um, uh, trying to get this person through this game and they just had tragedy after tragedy hit them with like no income and it was just it was a, it was a brutal game yeah in, in cart life you you know you have to take care of your health you I found myself making the choice between like buying flour to make bagels for my cart the next day or buying vitamins so, so I was like oh this is just like real poverty this thing this game really captures it you just don't have the resources to take care of the things you must not neglect your finances and your health <laughs> yeah but the painful thing i'm sure like in real life it's a uh, micro poverty the macro economy has plenty of resources we haven't had a demand shortage in anything in a decade yeah exactly so the resources are there yeah the resources are all around you and you have no access to them it's maddening it's just a great Great impactful game that really feels like real poverty. I, I wish I could, you know, if, if you feel like you're suffering from affluenza, maybe pick this one up. See what it does for you. Yeah, I'm looking at the, uh, I posted the chat here, but it's character selection. It's this, uh, this character named Melody. And her bio is, Melody and her daughter Laura have moved into Melody's childhood home, which is owned by her sister Rebecca, who also cooks meals for them. Melanie is trying to start a coffee business and hoping to prove its stability in an upcoming custody hearing where her future relationship with Laura will be determined. Can she sell enough coffee to demonstrate her capability? Jesus Christ. That is you know, so that's amazing, dystopian. right? Talk about like a realistic video game narrative. Why don't we have the creator? We should invite the creator on the show. We should definitely invite him on the show. I bet he'd be into this. Should at least, well, at least give him a plug. Yeah, there's uh, there's another one that I would talk about. We started the stream. Ways sometimes Jeremy could pull, it up, uh, but it's a game where you have to make decisions, um, like you know, a role playing or a, it's more like a a book, you know, like those choose your own adventure books, where you have to choose one one or or the other decisions, and um, and then, uh, but the point of it is to sort of live a very moral life but it's very difficult to do it. Like there's that one, um, there's a storyline in which there's a uh, politician who's doing something terrible in the town or so you think. And then it turns out that trying to stop him or trying to help him, both of those are bad. <laughs> they all turn out to be bad outcomes because um, at some point later you realize that he was being paid by both sides, by, by both parties. So the corruption um, was in just the taking of the money. I missed it. Uh, what was the name of that game? It's called Always, Sometimes Monsters. That's what it's called. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> like, without playing it, I want to say, like, on the surface, my takeaway is you can't engage in politics in a uh, multiple-choice fashion. You have to engage in it in, a, in your own way, in a, in a way that you devise. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is... are definitely needed. Yeah. Like, um, the interesting thing is that it's not... There's uh, so much more nuance in, um, you know, what people end up having to do in their life. And you're often forced into decisions that, you know, you don't want to have to be making. You have to, you have to make what seems to be a binary decision. You know, take the job or don't take the job. 
So, but like, um, it's life is like the way that you choose. Sometimes you apply your job, two choices. That's who responds to you. So it's kind of interesting. <clears throat> I'm also okay. So back to the um, World of Warcraft issues. Okay, so the reason I didn't like that is because you have those forced. Uh, that's in most games where you have like some people that you're supposed to shoot at. <laughs> or some characters that, you know, those are the bad guys, so you just go after yeah. them. That's, it's very clear. But in, um, I, I like the, um, my favorite game is called Yo-Ho-Ho Puzzle Pirates. <laughs> so, so Yo-Ho-Ho Puzzle Pirates is like, um, it has like really simpl- simplistic little um, characters and um, graphics because it's a very old game. But um, it's able to have like, a thousand people or more in a in one instance um, trying to uh, like blockade an island or something like that. So you're supposed to be on these. Um, uh, you're like little pirates that um, can own a business, right? You can sail a ship. You can go pillage and uh, rob like non non player vessels, or you can play against other players. And um, the really interesting about thing about this is the economy is so is so interesting. Um, each each of the the duties that you might have to do, like, and uh, Jeremy's putting up some photos here. There's one of uh, how to do alchemy. So if you own an alchemy shop, you would actually have to employ people to do this job of alchemy. And when they do the job, they come in and they play a puzzle. Right, that kind of simulates. It, it gives you the feeling like, oh yeah, I'm mixing up, you know, colors in a bottle, chemicals, and I'm going to do some real alchemy here. So, um, if you get really good at this puzzle, then you become an expert, right? And, or if you're just starting out, you're not going to be very good. So you'll be a beginner. And those um, levels of skill it comes with you. So when you get hired at the shop, you can only do passive labor, like when you don't actually play the game in the next couple of weeks. It'll continue to do passive labor for that shop in the skill level that you've um, that you've attained <laughs> in this particular puzzle, and it's like that on the boats too. If you're on a ship, right, then everybody on the ship has to do their um, has to do their um, their ship duty. So there's a sailing puzzle. There's a like a there's all the, these different puzzles that move the ship. And so if you're if you hire a bunch of lazy people who are like barely watching their puzzle or who don't really know how to do it. If they're all beginners, then you're going to have a hard time moving your ship, and you won't perform as well as the other players in a like a player versus player type of situation. So the crazy the crazy thing about it is all these different levels of um, the economy and different levels of uh, organization um, for um, for politics. Like that's real politics. Real politics is going behind the scenes and talking about how much money you have to get something done. Like who can you hire to help you? And uh, how many people do you have involved? Can you take over this island by blockade because you have enough ships and you have all the resources, you know, and all that. And so there's like levels of you've got your crew, your basic crew, and then you've got like a flag that you fly under. Um, And then you've got the flags actually talking to each other about, you know, who they're going to make alliances with. So I think I find that really interesting. So uh, how about uh, Bernie's billionaire tax to pay for a year of Medicare? Thoughts? Uh, I, tell me what this is. Introduce this first. I'm, I'm not familiar. Um, Bernie, along with um, Ed Markey, have proposed a 
one-time billionaire tax on the profits made during the pandemic of, I believe, 40%. And that would pay for a year of Medicare for All, his plan of Medicare for All, for every American to get through this pandemic. Um, oh, it's 60%. He... I'm so sorry. I mean, I mean, without knowing the details, sounds like a thing I would support, and also a thing that would never get through Congress. I completely agree, but it is definitely an interesting, uh, interesting ploy from the Senate. I wish uh, the Sanders camp would come around on UBI. Uh, I think you know some some have an ideological aversion to it. They think it would essentially uh, disempower the working class. I feel I wish we could uh, uh, come come to more of a, an agreement so we could be a, a you know a better cohort with burners and ex-burners, etc. Well, Sanders himself supports more of a basic income yeah. than Howie Hawkins does, because he is with uh, Senator uh, Markey and Kamala Harris to have the uh, $2,000 a month for during this pandemic and for, I believe, three months after, and it would also retroactively pay everyone back to March, so you'd get like $14,000 right up front so that is how, pretty damn how close that, to a basic income that'd be lovely and uh, un, an unprecedented windfall for the common american people but how in the world would it ever pass congress well honestly that's really how does anything pass congress right now because the senate's about to go on vacation again and uh, mitch mcconnell still hasn't gotten any uh, momentum on his eels act and he hasn't uh uh, buckered down for the Heroes Act, and none of our damn senators have half a brain to propose a basic income act that actually goes in between the cost of those two. It is not unlike Rome burning while Nero fiddled, right? It's. I think we're there. We can evoke that now. Am I wrong? Uh, I'm sure it's been uh, evoked long before this already. But it's just. Uh, it's just so frustrating. There's no end to the frustration. Yeah, the thing is, though, I, I could I could foresee the frustration continuing painfully, even under Biden. Oh, absolutely. I don't think Kamala Harris has any intent of ever passing a basic income. This is lip service, nothing more. I think that the political theater will continue for four years under Joe Biden, and we will just have an, a sort of a, an acceleration of our of our decline. And that's what it looks well, like. I don't think towards. it's going to be an acceleration of our decline. It's going to be an elongation of pain. But it's going to be beneficial because we're going to get people into um, seats in the representative House of Representatives and the Senate that support basic income. And it's going to continue to grow because it's sound economic theory. It's so ridiculous that we haven't passed it already. We're just completely removed from reality. You know, we have to keep living the these professed... Um, values that aren't realistic these professed relationships between systems that have been proven to not exist we just have this culture that is uh married to ideas we now know to be untrue and the status quo is doing everything it can to to make us pretend they're true it's just it's just so maddening that we have to pretend we're in this meritocracy still do you think kamala harris really has intention of passing a basic income or do you think she has she does not what do you think? She is a co-sponsor of the bill. If it comes down to a floor vote, she'll vote for it. Uh, but and honestly, that's all I ever care about it. Yeah, yeah. But I think she's doing that 
telling her backers, oh, don't worry, it's not going to come time to a vote. This is safe, right? Well, honestly, it, it really is irrelevant at this point because basic income is so such a powerful policy that uh, she's she and her backers are going to come around from a likely to do this to a solid we got to do this within the next four years. It's really about what the pain looks like over the next four. Yeah, I would say in the, for the for the immediate time, um, I mean, it's pretty obvious that neither Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi are going to fight for uh, any kind of basic income within the current legislation outside of the $1,200 and, um, you know, expanded unemployment benefits. I think it's been yeah. made uh, very painfully clear. Along with uh, the DNC board, I, I think Tom Perez, while he was infatuated with Yang when he gave his speech to the DNC, really is still establishment neoliberal and thinks that giving people money would crush our system for some unknown reason. Exactly. And and it just, it seems like there's no way to break this belief. It is just so fundamental to some of those who hold it. Now, maybe that's pessimism, but it's just, um, it's tiring it to see people cling to it when we're at this stage of decline. And I, I don't think decline is the right word. We are absolutely backsliding. But this isn't, we still aren't anywhere near a real nationwide decline. Even with the incredible loss in GDP over the uh, second or third quarter, can't remember which, um, we're still only backsliding. This isn't a full decline. How do you determine the difference? Well, there's the political order and the economy. Our economy is still remarkably sound and safe. People aren't like, besides the obvious no cash among 30 million people, that's 10%. 90% of the uh, population is doing remarkably well during this recession. The political order, however, is becoming incredibly fascist, and we're seeing acting directors being shoved into important positions with no confirmation from our Congress. Even though the Senate, which would confirm it, is in the Republican camp and in session right now, they still aren't confirming any of these people. Could that be just (laughs) a a strategic move by those um, Republican uh, senators who... They don't want to have to tell Trump no, but they also don't want to have to have their careers tied to the endorsement of a Trump character. It it could be, but honestly, we're so close to the election right now. There's no other way to take this than a fascist attempt at taking over most of the executive and doing something drastic. Uh, Thank you, uh, Jeremy. That's what I was uh, trying to get across with our economy. Um, While... I dislike stock market indexes. They are a good reflection of our economy, and it's remarkably sound, minus the uh, earlier crisis. And we are on a decent recovery path. It's news to me. I did not know we were on a recovery path. I thought we were for bottomed out. For major big business and uh, major corporations that really determine our GDP, yes, we are on a recovery path. Oh, like right. I We're said, just talking about for the stock 30 okay. million people, 30 million Americans, there is zero help right now. Like, they are in bread lines. That's how bad we are in America right now. Well, they're in the street as well. You know, we are still still protesting every day. People are still in the street, and it is partially for economic reasons. 
Oh, it's entirely for economic reasons. I would absolutely pin every day of the protest. While it was sparked from an incredible, unacceptable political moment, the reason for having so many people on the street is because of this economic crisis. Yes. Though I'm honestly glad to see it, because we we need more American protests. Yes, we need to protest like Europe if we want European-style, you know, government and agency for uh, working people yes yes we do so if the if the protests are purely an economic um a base movement all right please please don't take it this is not purely economic the reason that they've been sustained is economic this is a political movement no doubt about it a police officer blatantly murdered an american on the street in public view our state killed an American. That is literally Amendments 1 through 5 terror. I like that framing. So, yes, uh, the economic crisis has kept them on the street, but this was because of an unacceptable political action. Uh, I'll change gears uh, here just a little bit. Um, so, uh, Joe Biden's VP pick. Is it going to happen this weekend <laughs> or not? I, you know, I, yeah, I... I feel like it's a foregone conclusion. It's Kamala Harris. Uh, what 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 newspaper sort of leaked that? Was it the New York Post? They leaked like a pre-written story about uh, Politico. How to, Politico. I yeah. I mean, uh, come on. It. I've always had a gut feeling it was going to be Kamala Harris. She just fits the. You know, she she offsets Joe being an old white man demographically, and uh, the DNC is thinking in crude, broad stroke terms. Yeah, I, uh, I have to you, agree. Yeah, they're thinking uh, panderously. Uh, they're thinking tactically, I guess, if you want to speak no, about No, it no, no, no. Let's, let's be very clear about this. This is absolutely okay. identity politics. They yeah. e- This was seen in Georgia when um, John Lewis passed away, and they the Democratic Committee in Georgia pushed a um, uh, black uh, lawyer, a black female lawyer, over the actual competitor, who uh, I believe his name was Barrington, talented black man, but because they wanted to have the first African-American woman in that office position, they nominated her instead. And because of the public outrage, the Democratic Party has actually backtracked to have an actual special election. And Barrington is on that ballot. Huh. But you, Faye, um... What do you think? Is Joe Biden going to make his VP pick? Will it be Kamal Harris? Will it be someone else? Well, to me, it's beneficial for him to drag it out for as long as the more attention all the women get. And I think that's wonderful. Wait, and the more we talk about it, the better. Do you, do you, so I, yeah, yeah, so I think um, I, was, I was told at my latest uh, Democrats meeting by um, the other Democrats that there's really only two people left on the list, maybe, and it could be Kamala Harris and uh, Susan Rice. Now, Susan Rice has a lot of experience um, in the um, as a like a national security advisor and ambassador to the United Nations, and so is more of a uh, diplomatic um, policy advisor type of person. And um, so the question really is whether um, Joe thinks he needs that set of skills more, or if he needs the other. You know, it, it, I think he's going to decide based on what compliments him the most. And this is based on talking to other people. So, Oh, man, I, I really hope he chooses the uh, foreign diplomat or the uh, 
uh, ambassador over the prosecutor. Uh, I agree with that. I don't, I um coming out of, but it may be that uh, Joe doesn't, the foreign, the foreign policy aspect as much just because of his own experience. He was given a chance to do more foreign policy type things during, um, you know, his vice presidency. And so he may feel very confident in that area and just say he would rather have somebody who's, you know, helping him in the domestic area. Yeah, I can see that, unfortunately, but Kamala Harris has so many qualms uh, just from her uh, background as well as from her ambitions. Like, uh, there's, all, there's all kinds of reports that she may be less focused on vice presidency and managing the Republican-controlled Senate. Hopefully it swings blue, but it will probably still be Republican-controlled under, uh, under Biden instead of... Uh, focusing on instead being focused on uh, improving her PR for a 2024 run. Yeah, I think um I think if if Kamala Harris be, you know, chosen, it would be I think a pairing of two of the the people that I really didn't want to have to, you know, support yeah. and I'm going to be forced to support them in a sense. And but I would also be really proud of her as the very first uh, AAPI, the first Asian American, you know, with some Asian American her her mother was a Tamil Indian. I was about and to so, ask um, yeah. So wait, so where, what country of origin is her mother from? Um, I'm going by Wikipedia. I yeah. don't know that much. She's a breast cancer scientist, immigrated from India okay. to pursue okay. a doctorate right. in endocrinology from at India. UC Berkeley, which is my, my alma mater. So, I mean, how much can I not like that? So very happy with her in that sense. And I'm very grateful for the appropriate representation. But again, the policies are the person and she we're having doubts about her supporting basic income in this uh, chat room now, when she currently is a co-sponsor of a couple of close to basic income proposals. So there's a lot of doubt in the air about whether she'd actually be focused on these issues. So I really hope it's rice. Yeah, her history, her, her history is just egregiously bad. Kamala Harris, in this moment where we're realizing the severity of the racial injustice, hi Ariel, in our in our prison system, we have Kamala Harris, like one of the architects of the private prison system, right along with Joe Biden. So they're a natural pair. But wow, that would just for people who are in the know really should uh, double that strike against Biden for being, uh, you know, part of the the prison industrial complex and preserving it in this moment where the people are crying that we must stop it. Well, I can kind of hear in the background because some I conversations just quite often and he says and he would be all about how the person that needs to be picked is tammy baldwin and we don't hear as much about her as the other people um unfortunately so um you never know could be could be it could be a secret you know like uh reveal once once they get to where they get you know where they're comfortable talk about tammy baldwin a little bit for people who don't know like me Oh, okay. Well, see, okay. So there's two Tammies in this, uh, in this thing. And apparently Tammy Baldwin is the one that's never mentioned, which reminds me a lot of Andrew, <laughs> Andrew Yang, <laughs> like MSNBC will literally not mention, you know, the other Tammy. And so, um, Tammy, Tammy Baldwin is from, is a, um, 
he she is the junior senator from Wisconsin since January 2013. And um, I think we could put up an, uh, some information about her, right? Um, yeah, Jeremy, and, I'm uh, sure, has got something about Jeremy's, Tammy Baldwin uh, you can throw up. On his I'm way, I'm not sure what's yeah. notable about Tammy Baldwin. I've heard the name. I knew she was in the running. I just really did not know much about her. I think they've worked together before um, on various things, and um, that uh, the great thing about her is that she would... Okay, so that's another thing is whether or not um, he really needs the the credentials of somebody who is black. Um, he did promise a woman, okay? She fits that bill. He did not promise us a black woman. He doesn't need to have... I mean, in a sense, he's already got the black vote um, down. I mean, people are going to people in the black community are going to vote for him. So I don't think that what you're saying about playing identity politics, I think that's an assumption from, you know, uh, I don't know, just kind of a, a kind of a negative, uh, you know, uh, assumption that's, that's not necessarily true. I think Joe Biden is already the nominee because he, he had the black vote. So the question is, what does he really need to help him? And I think uh, somebody that he works well with, Right. You want to choose a vice president that you're not going to have um, any conflict with and, you know, will have your back. And I'm not sure if he needs the additional, you know, in my opinion, what Joe Biden really needs is to add Medicare for all and a base income to the Democratic platform to actually secure the left field in its entirety. That's really what I think he needs to do. And the only way I see him doing that now is by who he selects. Is, well, is, is Wisconsin a battle? So that's what we're talking about. We've got swing states and we've got, we're looking at people who might bring that swing state. If he were able to find somebody who would actually bring him Texas, he'd probably go with that. I mean, if Texas goes, that's... I think he already place. has Texas, honestly. Like, this has been <laughs> so bad. The oil spike alone was so bad to Trump's image. I hope he does, because I'll be working for that here. I think if he can, if he can bring Johnson to swing states, I think be, that would be wonderful for him. still can't really feel like it will be definitively better if Joe Biden wins in the long term, because, you know, in, in a, they just opens opens the line for, of neoliberal succession in 2028 and beyond forever and ever, and we could just be stuck in the no, past no. another hundred years. Don't, uh, don't, I'm, I'm not, don't be I'm, so I'm, cynical there, Shale. This, this is probably like the last last gasp of neoliberalism versus fascism in, in our country. I really see this next decade being an American enlightenment where we wrangle with our past oppression and understand what oppression really means to people and how to avoid it and eliminate it in our society. Yeah, I have to agree with Sheridan, um, especially when, like, Beto Rourke is supporting someone like Donna Mom, uh, who is a supporter of universal basic income. The, uh, you know, winds are starting to shift, or what are they called? The <laughs> no, no, it's the and, uh, yeah. Another way. Oh, okay. I was right for the first time. Cool. So, uh, yeah, when they're starting to shift, and, and we get like five uh, of these Congress people, five tops, David Kent in the district adjacent to mine. Uh, what Blair Walsingham is going head to head against a Republican who is not an incumbent because the incumbent is 
out. And, and the woman that she's going up against is really terrible. All she talks about is Jesus and Trump. And she has zero to offer Tennessee other than Jesus and Trump rhetoric that's so ambiguous and doesn't mean anything. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to a couple of, like, having, like, like one or two of our own uh, AOCs, you know, to, uh, you know, do what we have to and we're good. So I'm sharing my screen, and this is some information. Oops. Can you still hear me, I wonder? Yeah, I can still hear you. Yeah. Oh, okay. It suddenly got different. Okay. So in the Senate, Tammy was elected to the U.S. Senate in 20, 2012, winning a hard-fought race and making history as Wisconsin's first woman to serve in the U.S. Senate and the first openly gay member elected to the Senate. And she has been working on um, across party lines to strengthen economic security, investments in education, workforce readiness, quality health care for all Americans, building a strong manufacturing economy, and ensuring retirement security for today's seniors and future generations. So that's that's uh, the basic information about her. Yeah, I mean, it would be cool. Uh, do you think, I mean, if, if, uh, if the... If the VP pick is not going to be a woman of color, do you think she really has a chance better than, say, um, Elizabeth Warren? Well, she's a little bit younger than Warren. Yeah, there's a major age problem when you choose Warren. Voters are already concerned about Biden passing. And, of course, uh, Elizabeth Warren has um, is going to be important where she is. And she also betrayed and angered uh, the Bernie camp, and they're still pretty sour, <laughs> I think justifiably. Yeah, her, her being in the Senate is, is pretty all right. That was always my argument for why Bernie should drop out. I like um, Elizabeth Warren, and I would not be disappointed if she was uh, the one chosen. Back in 2016 is when she should have run and won. Oh, man, that could, she could have won. She could have beat out Hillary. She would have, I think. I think she would have won if she had... Hillary had a lot of connections. I think you're right. She had a lot of weight. I, I, I agree Elizabeth would have put a challenge, but it would have been a real... It would have been an interesting race. Yeah, she bad she didn't want to run against her and wasn't prepared to jump in. At- you know, it was really a test of a Democratic Party that they chose Clinton instead of Warren. Oh my Hillary. God, right? That was the failure. But now they're talking about like uh, Karen Bass also to be Joe's VP, and that's interesting because she's she's she represents my district. Oh well, dish Ariel. Uh, it's fascinating. I I think I think she's she doesn't like Trump, but I, I think she's like, like a more calm, collected version of Maxine Waters. Where, like Maxine Waters like goes crazy and gets really mad easily and tries to get a and they're like Karen Bass has a more like slow and steady approach to why things are bad. And she doesn't, she doesn't lose her temper or get all like self righteous and all that stuff. She's more calm, but uh, yeah, but, 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 but at the same time, like maybe she's all talking, no action. I don't know. I really like Maxine Waters, she's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love it. It was funny they were claiming my time thing. She did with Stephen Mnuchin, and uh, and everybody made so many parodies of that. It was it was so funny. 
That's great. Well, I like Maxine Waters because she weighs in yeah. so many. Is that right? So you cut out the worst possible time. Please, please repeat. Oh, can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Why do you like Maxine Waters? Yeah. Oh, well, Maxine Waters is sitting on that important committee. Is it called Ways and Means or is it Finances or Houses? Uh, what House is important about that committee? committee? I think it's the Ways and Means. Well, because it's a finances committee. That's where the UBI is, is coming out of. She authored the paper for... Oh, what is all that sound? Oh, right. Yeah, that's... Is that Ariel? Ariel, have you heard of noise right. compression by yeah. CRISP? Yeah, it's... it's I, the, the, the fi- I'm using a Firefox browser. So, all right. So it, it, uh, yeah. That's mistake number one. <laughs> yeah, Discord doesn't like browsers. Maybe just mute, maybe just mute your microphone. For- yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... I can't. Oh, yeah. Well, that's where the UBI is and the recurrent cash stimulus is being, you know, discussed. And um, so it's a very important committee. You know, UB, the uh, they came out for two thousand um, dollars, you know, stimulus check um, pretty early on. Do you guys remember when we were talking about the, you know, the different acts in Congress? I'm surprised we aren't doing another round of calling all our Congress people again. We need to do that. We could. There's nothing stopping us. I just I mean, called yeah. my senator this morning asking why they're going on vacation again. And they, the person who was manning the phone says McConnell hasn't given a response about extending it yet. But it looks like, yes, they're going on vacation again. McConnell just wants them to do less. He's happy to have the government shut down. I, I, feel, I feel like we're just... Wasting our energy, often writing our Congress people, they don't care unless their jobs are on the line. And they, you know, it doesn't. It didn't Andrew wasn't Angelo telling us that An- Andrew Yang now has become so cynically saying they're just not going to listen until their jobs are on the line. Uh, so I feel like with the boss himself now saying that, uh, unless Angelo is misrepresenting him, I, I who I'm already disinclined towards these actions. I feel like they're kind of a pantomime. It's like you know the 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 person who is uh, receiving these letters of dissatisfaction with their constituency, you know, will write you a very proper formal thank you for your your attention. I'm giving it my attention. And then you'll feel like something was done and like nothing ever changes, you know, and I just, I don't want to put my energy, I don't want to play multiple choice politics. You know, I want to put my energy where it belongs uh, in a way that will make a maximal difference. We really need to change things in a way we're not allowed to. That's it's uh yeah that's that's the thing their, their jobs have to be directly on the line. Now the the ridiculous thing about it is that, that like you have like a worker who um you know doesn't do their job like they can be fired on the spot but with these numbskulls we have to wait until the terms are you know over and someone's running against them and everything. Like yeah, I see articles mentioning this all the time. It's like the going thing is like in the, every other profession, these people would have been fired, but we have to suffer through them. And yeah, you're right, Ariel. Everyone is yeah. knows. What do you do? What do we do? I have an idea. Well, I think um, if if the voting is not voting is all, but the voting is still like you know choose this or choose that, and not everybody is you know 
going to listen to us at this moment. But I think what we have to do and what really was disappointing about uh, Yang's suspension was that people thought, you know, well, Yang's suspended. So now we have bought all this Yang stuff and we can't use them anymore. We were all set to go out there and continue persuading people. And because he suspended, we all said, well, okay, now what do I do with all this stuff we had purchased or all this stuff, you know, we were going to go and tell everybody about, you know, universal basic income and how the world was going to change and all these great policies. Well, we can still do that. There's nothing preventing us. And not only that, um, the Yang 2020 campaign website is back online. Fantastic. So they closed, they shut it down for a while. We were very disappointed. I was like, well, now what will I point to when I want to talk about this policy or when I want to check on something, you know, Um, and that's back. So the 150 policies are back. Um, and we can't, we don't have to say uh, we're trying to get Andrew Yang elected, but we can go after those policies and continue Yang people. And I think we should do that. And I think that could actually bring a lot of happiness back to people when they feel like they can really make a difference by changing people's minds. That's what needs to happen first. Zephyr used to go Yanging. Zephyr would be like the, the one up waving the poster, giving out all, this, all the things. I think we can continue doing that. I think we are. I mean, that's what we've. Yeah. The show is all about yeah. that. We will not stop. You know, we are evangelical, yeah. which is one of the reasons we will succeed. Everyone needs this. The, it's for everyone. The 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 well, you mentioned like, like how do we stop? You know, that from happening. Maybe there should be like amendments, some kind of like constitution that's like if you know people voted in, like um, don't intend to keep the promises or work for the people, and we can find like. Gross negligence or gross incompetence, like we can just get rid of them. Like, it doesn't really matter where they're on their term or like how long they have to serve. It's like a majority of people will think that, that this person is just like lazy or useless or what have you, like not doing their job. Just, uh, yeah, like, like just, you know. What I would like, get rid of them. yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, we already have something called the, like, there's uh, no mechanism. Cut out like- called the what the recall recall and we were ta- i was talking with angelo yeah. the other yeah, day yeah. Said, we have a recall system but just nobody uses it um and who is responsible for that like who who pushes the button to say now we're going to do a recall and who pays for it so that's the difficult things people don't don't yeah. use that mechanism and we need something i think we need something that um automatically fires all of congress if they uh yeah. if yeah. they shut the government down if yeah, they shut the government great. down, boom, you're all yeah. going to go go back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, feel safe to switch. Uh, that, that's the thing, like, who the hell are the people who, 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 who are in front of all the buttons and the levers and the gatekeepers? It's not the president. And that's what I hate so much about, about how, how stupid this is. It's the like finances. everybody looks at the president. You know, it, it's it, the finance it, yeah, it's them. So, 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 so what we gotta do is like people have to redirect all their energy and whatever they have against the like presidential politics and, and point to the real people with the real power in this country. I think the people would have more power if we were using our powers, but we don't use them very much because we are so, we are so convinced that it won't. Um, wait, if we if it's we use our what? time, yes, if we say so you, you keep cutting out really. Okay, if we use our powers right, we would act. We we would be heard, but most of us don't because we're either convinced that it won't help, 
or <laughs> or we're wasting our time because it, it does turn out to be a waste of time when you do a lot of things and nobody's helping you. Like you really have to push together, right? But if you're all rowing in a different direction, then that's it very feels- true. It's very hard to get coordinated. Right. That, that's why UBI is so special because it's not like abortion or I don't know, like free college. It's like you know, you know, abortion only applies to moms. Free college only applies to like young people or any really, really old people who want to go back. But UBI applies to like almost everyone with a pulse. So that that that's a great uniting front. And and who and and like, like unless you know, you're, you're, we, 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 we've let the fringes take over the conversation, and that's what's so disgusting to me. Even the extreme right hates UBI because it's like, oh, it's a handout. Or the extreme left hates UBI because, you know, oh, oh what about, like, this, uh, you know, neoliberalistic, paternalistic welfare program that you're going to take away? But that's, that's like 10% here and 10% there, and they're the loudest voices in the room. We need the other 80% or 70% or what, whatever. We need like the normal pe- people who there's a war on to be louder than these extreme voices and tell them we're not going to let you take over the conversation anymore and like clog everything up with your extremism, you know? Absolutely. Have you guys um seen... Faye Doni's documentary pitch. She's talked about it a little bit, but she's been posting about it on her Twitter. Have you guys been keeping up with that? Yeah, I think she's getting pretty close to her uh, her target of $250. Can you describe what that is for, Jeremy? All right, so as I know it, um, she is she's trying to raise $250 so she can pay for an hour to meet with, I believe, a, uh, a producer of some sort to, to pitch her idea for this this documentary of hers. So if she if she pitches this documentary to this guy and he seems to like it, um, I'm I'm not sure if that's going to result in more financing. If that's going to re- result in uh, um, just more contacts of people who she can reach out to or co- cooperate with. But um, so that's, that's about all I know. I uh, we uh, so Faye Doni, one of our regular speakers. She's brilliant. We love her. Um, I hope this is legitimate, though. I hope this isn't like a thing where she's being scammed. I don't like the prospect of paying to just pitch an idea to someone, paying to to meet with someone uh, whose time is worth two fifty. I mean, I know people people do have, there are people whose time is worth it in this system we have, but I feel like if you're kind of on board with fighting the system, uh, you're t- you're not going to pay charge me two fifty to meet you to pitch an idea that might benefit us both i just get uncomfortable with that at the outset but i don't know maybe i should get over myself maybe it's uh maybe the ends justify the means shell i think that it's very common for people to charge um large uh much larger amounts of money than you might imagine oh i know <laughs> a I just lawyer right and i feel like i don't want to participate but yeah it's common i'm not debating i'm not disagreeing about that yeah a lawyer charges um at least 350 uh, and that's in like regular metros I don't know. But yeah, but that's your yeah. But then you were buying a consult consultation of specifically like your scenario. Oh, I think that I think that she is kind of. um, So is she buying like script doctoring, or I guess consult? I guess she's buying consultation. Hmm. Okay. No. So so in order to pitch to Netflix, okay, 
we're trying to pitch a show to Netflix, which is actually us. We're trying to pitch. I don't. I think she wants to pitch her own too, but um, she would like to have a something made about her life. But also, she's wanting to pitch for us the the Yangang Roundtable for That'd us to have our own Netflix I would love show. That, yeah. Yeah, and in order for us to to do that, um, Netflix uh, says just like other big companies that they don't want to hear your ideas directly. In order for you to have um, your idea pitched to them, you need somebody who's already a recognized agent and preferably somebody who's already done had a Netflix show produced. So they're very reluctant to talk to new people that they're not already talking to. And um, the reason is, uh, I found this out ages ago with gaming companies and with like even like board game companies. They don't want to hear your ideas because they may be making something already. They may already have something that works. And then later you say, oh, you stole my idea. And then you sue them and you try to get you know a lot of money out of that. So, um, so they don't want to hear your idea unless it's through a legit, like a specific, um, uh, very specific route, and it has to have a third person involved. So we have and a bribe. So, yeah, basically, you need that third person, and that third person can get a lot of money for their time. So. And yeah, I, I hear you. That makes that all that all adds up. I just think it's like an unfortunate situation, you know. Anyway. I don't know. It is. It's like, I hope. I, I, I hope. Fig, I hope Fig Dony makes enough money and sees it through. I know I'm like totally wrong, and this is legitimate. And then I myself get on Netflix and personally benefit. Benefit, but you know, I you got to be wary of of like scams too. And even if it's not yeah. a scam, even if he's a legitimate like produced, yeah. yeah, I, I don't All know. Right. What's really disgusting about uh, our economy and our work these days is this pay to play bullshit. Yeah, exactly. It's objectionable ethically. It's, 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 yeah, like, like MLMs. Oh, we have a great opportunity for you. you, you you're gonna, it's about working hard, but you're gonna have to pay us to, like, do a job. It's like paying to do a job. Like, that's disgusting. It's like, it's like, yeah, you can work at McDonald's. You just need to pay, like, yeah. you know, $500. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, that's, that's no reason to, yeah. like, yeah. I know that Faye is a young person, but um, I think we should trust in her and her good judgment. And she has seen a lot of people time with many people. So yeah. I believe that she's uh, she's fundraising for a good cause and that uh, what she's going to be doing with it is trustworthy and certainly in her intentions. And I hope that anybody who's hearing us will um, will contact Faye and go ahead and uh, send some money her way so she can get this important work done. Her Twitter is at Tisdoney, T-I-S-D-O-N-E-Y. So, uh, you know, if you follow her, uh, if you like at reply one of her posts, I'm sure she, you can talk to her in her DMs if you would like to fund her meeting with a producer to pitch a docu series to Netflix, which uh, which would involve uh, the uh, Gang Gang Roundtable uh, heavily. So that would be good. Yeah, I would love to get so, us out there. So Faye has uh, suffered um, in the last few last year um, because she has uh, chosen a nomadic way of life, and especially during time of coronavirus. You know, it makes you feel uh, very um, vulnerable to be out there. And also, um, you know, I think she feels that people don't trust her because uh, she has chosen to do this difficult thing. Um, but I encourage everybody to put your trust in Faye because uh, living in a poverty situation and still trying to do this kind of important work is very difficult. She could be using that $250 to, you know, put towards getting new tires for her truck, 
which is something that she also desperately needs. But she believes so much in the work that we're doing, and so she finds it to be so important that she would rather uh, continue to fund that. And we all know this at the podcast because she helped us fund our website, um, which, again, is money she could be using for her daily expenses, but she would rather raise that money for us so that we can get our work done. Thank you, Faye. Yeah, I, I find that to be very admirable. Yeah, me too. That's like real dedication right there. I mean, like, how many other presidential candidates had anyone that's dedicated to their cause? Or like anyone else? With, with us, it's something else. It's like passion. It's like, if you, people are willing to sacrifice for, like, Yang's vision, I mean, who in a million years would sacrifice for, for Joe Biden's vision? Or, for, you know, like a Trump vision? <laughs> And yeah. yeah, I know people who are panhandling, on, panhandling out on the street just so they get that $5 a night to go to the shelter, the shelter for the night, or they're, they're getting themselves food, or some people are taking drugs so that they can escape. You know, there's, there's lots of money you could be spending your money on when you're essentially homeless, as Faye is, um, and she doesn't like to use that word as much as the word nomadic, but she's chosen to, you know, live out of her truck in order to get this work done. So it's crazy. I think uh, Faye should definitely consider pitching to Amazon Prime and other um, potential uh, platforms if Netflix is not interested. So it, I, I would love to see this concept be produced. Yeah, I think she'll be headed over to the podcast. Uh, you cut out there. Headed over to the podcast. What? She'll be here, uh, if not this weekend, the next weekend. Yeah, I'm um, sure she'll be back. Right, right now, she has a. She said she has a thing on Sunday. Remember, she has like a. Um, she's gotten. She's gotten a booth that she can present to people um, uh, information about uh, the universal basic income, and she'll be doing that this Sunday in San Diego. But I wish I knew more information so I could send people to her. Well, in the meantime. Uh... I found this incredible article um, by one of the representatives of, I think, um, Pennsylvania. They submitted a Payments for the People Act, which is far cheaper than any of the basic income proposals we've been discussing, but it may actually be something that the Senate could swallow. They propose um, four payments a year of $2,000 each, in this current context, and that payment would lower as our unemployment gets better. They, they have an obsession these comebacks. It's like they want to tie it to work. They want to tie it to work because they're of that mind. And like they, they don't understand like the world, so the future, I, and the world of. Life. I completely agree yeah. with you, Ariel. Yeah. Um, tying an income okay. to work is ridiculous, but tying. Uh, stimulus payments to unemployment rates is actually a great monetary policy because unemployment mm -hmm. rates are far um, are far more specific to taxpayers and people who are already in the tax system who could actually benefit from such a negative income from the IRS. Right. So okay. um, something like this could really help on top of a basic income. But right now in this crisis, this would be better than anything we've been seeing. And it would be better than the Senate Heals Act, which only has that one $1,200 yeah. check and $200 a week for unemployment. 
Yeah. The, and it would still be cheaper. Act. It would still be cheaper than the Heroes Act. Right. Right. The Heroes Act is an abomination. It really is, but yeah. unfortunately we have to work with the Senate that we got. November can't come soon enough, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I really hope that the wins. This is the first proposal I've seen that um, offers quarterly payments, which is a interesting way to approach the, the issue. I'm, um, I mean, I completely I'm agree. A, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not opposed to it at all. It's just a, it's an interesting structure that they've chosen, uh, especially with like the, the way they tie it. I mean, tying it to unemployment is an excellent way to address the situation. I mean, that's. I think that's also why Tim Ryan's bill uh, was so spectacular too. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I wish them. I wish them luck. It's 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 a solid proposal. I completely agree. And, and in this current context, I think that uh, Mitch could actually agree to something like this. Of course, probably with some riders for his corporate buddies. But you know, take what we can get. Yeah, I, I really think though that, that like the despondency of you know the people of this country has something to do with this too. And we we wouldn't be where we are if. Like, you know, people pay more, more attention to C-SPAN than they get to HBO or, uh, I don't know, some other thing. It's, it's uh, yeah, we really are, like, you know, collectively reevaluate our priorities and not be distracted. Yeah, I think the, the structure of having the, the payments be quarterly is actually, it's pretty smart. I mean, you're not... You know, it's uh, you're not being held hostage to the whims of Congress, whether or not they get to act together, act together to pass legislation. I mean, if you uh, if you create the structure that hey, you know, uh, four times a year these payments are going out, if unemployment is at this this certain level, it just yeah, it's it really increases efficiency on this issue. And the more I think about it, yeah, I'm 100 percent behind this. And honestly, the more that I think about it, I would like to have this system in exchange for all the unemployment and welfare support included, uh, along with a basic income and Medicare for all. And I think that, that this would be perfect to solve all our economic woes forever. So Jeremy put a, a bunch of really good information in Twitch and chat. For example, it shows that the only... Only 19 states plus the District of Columbia have the call for officials. Uh, Texas is not one of them. <laughs> Neither is New Mexico, unfortunately, but we're at least half decent. And it seems that um, have to, again, it's someone has to make the, has to make, go and file the application to circulate the recall petition. And then you have to go out and get signatures. And then you would take that petition to the election officials to verify those signatures. And so you better be sure that you followed all of the rules. <laughs> and finally, that's, that's when the recall election would have to happen. And all of that takes time. So when you're thinking, you know, do I go and do this recall or do I just work on this election? You're going to have to election. It's all pretty tough to, to make that determination that you're going to do this recall campaign. Also at the end, he's got the um, Payments for the People Act. Say here, introduce Act. Um, do we know who introduced Uh Yes, Madeline Dean from Pennsylvania. Along oh, with right Cartwright. here. Okay, Representatives Dean and Cartwright, two Pennsylvanians. 
So when they go on vacation, is it going to be both the Senate and the House vacation? I believe so, yes. Well, hopefully, hopefully when they're when they're on vacation, they're not really on vacation, that they're actually researching and trying to write up things, be ready to present them when they get back. At, at best, they yeah. may be fundraising. At their level of incompetence, <laughs> they're, 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 they're on a state vacation when they're even in the Senate and in the House and in D.C. Because they're, 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 they, they, they go on their state vacation and they go on vacation. $200,000 per congressperson per year. The biggest and waste they, of taxpayer money on and they operate less than half of the year. That's absolutely disgusting. I mean, what other job has this kind of stuff? Like, like, like CEOs like, that can make their own system. rules. Right. That's the only exactly. time. This, this is not. They're, they're not representatives. They're oligarchs. They're stupid, out of touch oligarchs. Who, you know, why not just have like a CEO and then he have like. A Senate. I mean, it's it's so gross that 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 this is a lot, and it's like it's not like I ever voted for any of these people. They were all in there before I was born. So that it's it's uh, I, I don't understand. Well, the quarterly payments of two thousand dollars, well, and that to be, I mean, that that amount is too low if that's only for people who are unemployed. Um, there's going to be a lot of people who are who are employed, and that I don't see how that is going to cover like basic living expenses for people who are unemployed. Well, I don't think the uh, the payments are are not based on unemployment. Uh, well, uh, as I understood it, everyone within the state um, receives the payment. It's just uh, what the current unemployment level is dictates what the payout would be. I see. So it's for everybody as long as it's certain. But then if it's only quarter, that's a considerably less than $2,000, right? Would that be enough to help people? Would that be, still be something worth doing? I mean, it's better than zero, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, is it perfect? Is it, is it a, a real basic income? Uh, no to both of those. However, um, it, I, I think it's a, a step in the right direction. Yes. I think... Quarterly is a little bit because people have most people scheduled, and and so if you are trying to help people be able to afford um, and not worry about somebody accidentally overspending the first month that they get it, um, I think this is going to be tough. I, I don't think so because that comes down to uh, financial uh, research and being able to actually handle money, which we just need to get people money to get them started. Uh, even if these were uh, only twice a year and doubled, I think it would be just as good because we just need cash regularly to people, even if it is awkwardly regularly. I guess I'm for trusting people. Yeah. And it also works uh, especially well for the Senate because most of them are uh, millionaires so they think in quarterly terms with their dividends and reinvestments. So this could easily pass through the Senate, no problem, in my opinion. I guess the issuing of the checks does cost some money to do, so it would make it slightly less expensive to issue checks 
issue checks through my and they actually want to do um the uh, debit card the uh, uh sending debit cards to people who are unbanked that just get reloaded so it, yeah, it's not even the direct a, uh, express cards yeah that's good and if and if they do find out that people are really change that in the future so the august recess yeah <laughs> i i i cannot believe that we innovated around the problem of nature and then we got lazy so we were like we still need a recess yeah let's take half the year off in four or five different recesses I like how it says that uh, in the past we had to take a break because of the the summer, and my my air conditioner is just finally taking a break for a minute <laughs> because it got up to the right temperature. But um, it sure it sure is difficult to cool cool down in the summertime. Is that a good reason for Congress to not meet? I would say no, especially in our modern day where we can control climate pretty perfectly. I think the real problem is that they're refusing to meet by Zoom. We're meeting by Zoom so they can meet by Zoom. And I believe that that is the real problem, that they just yes. won't do it from home. So they have to call a whole vacation because they don't, they're not going to be in the same room together. And what's funny is even during several of the committee deliberations, several of the floor movements, there were dozens of members who were responding via video conference, either through Zoom or through another app. Well, I think one of the problems, of course, is that we still don't have that Office of Technology anymore, and they wouldn't know how to meet by Zoom. There's nobody to teach them. There's nobody to, uh, you know, make sure that it's secure and, Shoot. you know, yeah, the information if, if... only goes to the right people or whatever. So, yeah, just silly things like that. If we had an office of technology, Zoom would have already been flagged as a national security threat instead of TikTok. Hey, look what Jeremy's sending us now. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announced Thursday his chamber would be skipping the regularly scheduled August recess amid COVID-19 relief negotiations. How about that? About that. Who to thunk it? The House has already skipped town, but the Senate won't adjourn for August unless and until the Democrats demonstrate they will never let an agreement materialize, Mr. McConnell said on the chamber floor. Wow. wow. He sees the day. He literally just the Senate. What are they even going to do next week? Like, uh, the, the, the House is, is, is not going on recess either, just to be, just to be clear. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 Mr. McConnell is just full of it. But he did say a lot of Americans' hopes, a lot of American lives are riding on this endless talk. I hope they're not disappointed. Wow. Way to play partisan, you know, ship at every moment of the day. <laughs> what a sunny, optimistic uh, word choice, too. I want to give my congresswoman a quick call, guys, and tell her to support the thing, the uh, payments to the people act. Well, of course, they just constantly uh, point the finger at the other and which is why, back to my, my, uh, my favorite game, Yo-Ho-Ho Puzzle Pirates, they have, um, you know, flags that you, you, you join, and then there can be multiple flags jo- trying to 
take the you know take the island or whatever. So they're not restricted to two uh, alliance, and you know that it's not a restriction to there's only this side and that side. You can have three, you can have four, you can five different five different sides on the same issue, and um, that's really. Uh, what they need to be doing right now is they've got all these different proposals in front of them. Which one is the best one? And and stop talking about this side and that side because everybody's got a different opinion on it. Let's get to where, you know, what, what's the majority? What, what are people really wanting to happen? And I think recurrent uh, cash uh, is, is absolutely necessary now. That's That's the thing that's most important to us. We don't care the exact amount. We don't care exactly how often. Um, Right, we want as many people to get it as possible. That's the universal aspect. I think you're absolutely right. Those are the priorities we should have: the universality and um, recurring recurrence. Those should be our top priorities. The amount yeah, is, is so, secondary. So when those payments come out, whenever they have a new act proposed or something, a new proposal, that's what most of us are looking at. Is it is it being given to the people or is it being given to corporates, uh, corporate interests? Is it being given to um, as many people as possible, or is it limiting some people? Like somehow the first round skipped to seventeen-year-olds <laughs> specifically. If you're a seventeen-year-old, you don't get any money. Too bad. Um, and then also, is it is it being given to um, you know as a is it going to be more than once? Are they going to just give it once and then you have no budget once again? Like immediately after you receive your money. It's like how do we uh, how do we scramble for the next amount we're going to need, right? Right, so. and we just they keep us on this hook where we, all of our political energy has to be directed towards the single next payment rather than uh, systemic recurring payments. So you know it's it's political theater. Well, for all that they they go on vacations, also giving themselves um, more work to do. Like if you just make it recurring, you don't need to keep come back in two weeks. I think all the corporations are always trying to get us, you know, you have a water bill, automatic pay it. You have an electric bill, automatic pay that one. You know you're going to need electricity every month. Put it on automatic, and then you don't have to think about it. You know, it's over and it's, over. It's Everybody's trying to get us to do that. Yeah, yeah, for them. It's unconscionable for them, or so they would profess, because of the budget. They're like, oh, I just could never. It would be irresponsible fiscally for me to ever support recurring payments to everyone. It's absurd. That's like, you know, sort of, they, they will not get over this ideological bind that they put themselves in. Yeah, but if they make it recurring and then they put some like, some uh, condition that will automatically let them know this is the time when we might be able to stop, right? Which is what they, with this Payments for the People's Act. Sure, given out. Yeah, and the real uh, novelty is that this conditionality is on the macro economy, which most of our welfare programs are on the individual whether that individual was laid off or can't find work. But if it's the entire economy being hard, then it's it's really a significant shift. I'm sorry to talk over you. That's a a significant shift in in thinking, that it's not a personal responsibility. You know, it's it's not that you were bad, but that the economy is terrible because we have done a bad job in, in, um, you know, creating the the right kind of uh, systems that all people could thrive in. Yeah, it, it's exactly what it is. It's reparations for having our government have bad investments. Oh, it's reparations. It's like a refund for all the incompetence and stupidity we have to deal with at the top from these moochers, you know. 
Well, I find it interesting that we, yeah, that that we can take responsibility as a society for, you know, making bad law, you know, decisions together. It is possible. We just have to have the political will to do it. <laughs> All right. So Jeremy sends that the house is canceling its traditional August recess. And so they are they are both going to stay in. Well, so we can feel like we were very, very uh, effective in our discussion, <laughs> but actually we were discussing things that didn't happen. We had made some negative assumptions about our... our um, about no, no, no. People. Don't misread the situation. This is public pressure. Call, people called Congress and told them, you cannot stop working. This is a crisis and our government Amazing. has to represent us. I'm amazing when even the smallest thing works as it is intended. So all of this uh, this anger that we had this week has really helped. <laughs> hey, keep, keep it up. Keep up the uh, flames. You know, that's it. I mean, like, like I, I can't, I, I, I can't imagine like people who lose everything. They can just show up in front of the houses of all these uh, people and just no. But then, but then it's like, yeah. hey. You can't like you know be in front of my house like not this. It's like okay then, Jerk. Why didn't you you know um uh, support these cash payments? You didn't support these cash payments. I'm here. I'm camping out right in front of your freaking house. There you go. It's like <laughs> it's like and, and it's their own fault. And, and you know yeah. And I'll send a really really clear message. So um, I'd love to hear how everybody you um, letting their friends and family know. You know, doing what we used to do during the Yang campaign is letting everybody, uh, is like taking our message out into the world. How are we going to continue doing that now? Like when I meet with my fellow Democrats, you know, I talk to them about things, but um, we haven't really been meeting that much during this time. We're all socially distant. Hopefully yeah, how can we do it? Media, hopefully social media can be an appropriate platform, yeah. but we all know how problematic that is in a hope. Having personal conversations with the people we know who are not very politically active because it's an uncomfortable time, but people are starting to be more open to new ideas out of desperation now because they realize that what they were doing just wasn't working. Um, uh, Social media is very ineffective. It's going to stifle your message. You're going to get filtered through an algorithm. Only people who are going to vehemently agree or disagree with you are going to see it, and it will devolve into the same political theater that gets clicks but really solves nothing. I say talk to the people you know yeah. who you can have an intimate, long, personal conversation with, not recorded on the internet or anything, and, you know, see how they're doing and see if you can work UBI and be like, you know, I do a lot of work for this because I know it would help people, you know, help people, help you, and, you know, I was like, you know, and just talk about it. Right. Work it in, live it, and, you know, and- just just live your authentic self and really be about UBI. And don't rely on social media. Don't rely on anything that can be filtered through algorithms because the, to a degree, the medium is the message, you know. And this is a corporate medium, a capitalist medium, a regressive medium, a neoliberal medium, that, a status quo medium. Uh, so it's just going to be limited in what you can do. We've been doing that already. We know how to use the Internet. I say, you know, use this time when we're all together in person to evangelize for UBI in person. You know that, like, um voice of the Mindful Skeptics uh, podcast, they're thinking of creating like a, a chirp, an app uh, called Chirp uh, instead of Twitter, and it's, it's all about like good quality 
uh, social media that is not in thought design to be, uh, you know, like making everybody go crazy and nuts and all that stuff. And here, I'm going to post the link of this thing. And yeah, look into it. Like, we're creating a kind of gang gang social media, but it's, it's media that doesn't suck. It's like substantive, and we're not going to have people who just want to, like, fight and attack and, like, like do all these things. So that's what they're working on. All right, maybe we should take it out now because it's been about a uh, couple hours that we've been together. Yeah, all right. Hey, do, you wanna, do you want to start with your sign-off? Sure. Um, I'm um, at Palestine Math, and if you want to find me on Facebook, I'm on also on the Yang Gang Report. So look forward to see you there. Thank you, Faye. Uh, Ariel. Yeah, I'm at Ariel's underscore. I'm not on Twitter. And you can find me on Revolution. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Sheridan. Thank you, Cheryl. You can find me on Twitter at jsabergamer, J-S-A-B-E-R-G-A-M-E-R, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash notpublic. Going to yes. have a new video on how to get your personal production license in New Mexico coming soon. When did you start a Patreon? Oh, it's I've had it for, for I think, almost eight months now. Oh, you haven't plugged it before. You want to talk about it a little bit? Oh, it's, it's just my, my business. It's a uh, cannabis lounge for medical patients in New Mexico. Okay, and right, right. it's been uh, hit just as hard by this coronavirus, so I've been uh, forced yeah. to close and go all online. A little difficult to smoke out together online, but I'm making it work. I'm glad you've got something. You know, I've got a little... It's nice to have a little community. It's important to have such communities, you know, uh, not more than yes. ever. So, uh, Jeremy... And thanks for tuning in, everybody. You can follow me on Twitter at JeremySamons1. That is J-E-R-E-M-Y-S-A-M-M-O-N-S and the number one. Thank you, Jeremy. And I am S-H-A-E-L-R-I-L-E-Y on Twitter. Thank you for tuning in. We will hopefully see you again soon. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Be good to people. And uh, we got another show tomorrow, I think Saturday the 8th right uh we're doing noon 1 p.m tomorrow noon noon eastern tomorrow i believe another round table everybody (laughs) i think jeremy (laughs) knows the the calendar you know we know what we're doing this is a pirate ship (laughs) uh historically i do believe our saturday shows as of as of recent have been at uh at 2 p.m eastern but, what's what's uh, happened is we've had guests so frequently we've all forgotten our regular schedule. So yeah, so what's the but? Right. Uh, we'll work it out in the group chat. <laughs> all right. Cool. Great. Well, so tomorrow, tomorrow noon, another open discussion, and um, then we have Sherry Kirchhoff and Jacqueline talking about, um, uh, you know, Sherry will continue talking about her human trafficking surviving story, which she is is ongoing and she still needs help, and uh, Jacqueline. Uh, uh, another human trafficking survivor will be on to talk to her. I'm glad to get them together for the first time. And also Jacqueline will talk about on the same show uh, the history of mining companies paying employees in company script, which is worthless, fake currency only usable in their company store, a terrible imprisoning sort of scheme. And she's likening that to a jobs guarantee proposed by she says, uh, Jacqueline said, I'm not sure who proposed it. But I think it's it's sort of the Bernie camp she was attributing it to. I forget who. I'm sure she had a person. I don't mean to misrepresent her. I'm not sure who proposed it. 
but I think there is some sentiment, I suppose, uh, for uh, a, a job uh, guarantee. But Stephanie not Kelton. Okay, so so yeah, okay. The, I think she's brought Stephanie Kelton before, uh, right? So this would be another Stephanie Kelton joint, I guess. Uh, so we'll hear Jacqueline on that, and uh, it'll be good on Sunday at four. So thank you, thank you for for listening. We love you. Goodbye.